You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. your host, Andrew Donaldson. This is Heard Tell. Hi, welcome back to Heard Tell. I'm Andrew Donaldson. Thank you so much for making us part of your day as we try to do what we always do, turn down the noise of the news cycle, get to the things that matter. Don't try to waste too much time on the things that don't. Mostly just get good information to discern the times we live in. We do that by skipping all the caterwauling in the story that is dominating political headlines right now is a whole lot of caterwauling. And what's worse, I hate to tell you, we're in for months upon months of it. And it was all predictable. We told you it was coming. Came a little earlier than we thought. But here it be. We're going to talk about the debt limit some more. Now, those of you that have been around a little while, and if you're my age, you're a little older. I'm 42 for the moment. Lord willing, the creek don't rise. We might make it to 43. We'll have to see how that goes. But the thing is, if you've been around for a while, you realize these things are cyclical. We talk about the debt ceiling and the debt limit and spending every so often, just like clockwork. The reason we talk about it cyclically is because we never actually do anything to actually fix it other than talk about it and kick the can down the road a little further. This is what our Congress does best, of course. They are like water. They take the path of least resistance, the path of least work. And they do the bare minimum to get by to their next election and win election and come back so they can say, we're going to do more and then do a whole lot less. That's just the way it is. That's politics. We do grown folk talk here. This is a bipartisan problem, by the way. Uh, whoever's in power is spending too much money, according to the people out of power. People out of power love to rail against spending until they're in power and then they get to do all the spending. Uh, folks, our government spends too much money. They always have. They always will because we don't make them do anything different. That's just the way it goes. However, the debt ceiling limit is a little bit different. Yes, we can argue about certain things. We have economists on that will explain this. It is a bit of an arbitrary number. No, we can't default on our debts as a country. That would be catastrophically bad for everybody. Everybody take a breath because most of this was all highly predictable stuff. And most of what's going on now is just buzzword, buzzword, buzzword. Let's just take a look at the headlines real quick uh, about our debt situation at the minute. Remember, nobody was talking about this a couple of days ago, except for a few folks knowing that this was going to be a problem with this Congress. Uh, CNN headline, debt ceiling, colon. Here's what you should know as a threat to default looms. New York Times headline, America hits its debt ceiling, raising economic fears. Washington Post. What past debt ceiling fights can tell us about what will happen next? These are all within the last few hours as I'm recording this, by the way. CNN headline, U.S. hits debt ceiling, prompting Treasury to take extraordinary measures. Not really, they're just measures, but we got to pump up that headline. Uh, Guardian headline, U.S. hits borrowing limit, kicking off fight between Republicans and Democrats. Uh, AP News, oh, they got a live tracker of it. Oh, that's really important. Go over to The Guardian, check out their live tracking of something that we're going to be doing for months on end. Pass. AP headline, U.S. Treasury buys time for Biden and GOP on debt limit deal. Oh, we're always, you know, it's always got to be a horse race. We got to get to the deal, right? New York Times secondary headline, how to invest as the debt ceiling looms. That'll get good clicks. CNBC, they're supposed to be kind of the responsible adults in the room. Yellen says Treasury is taking extraordinary measures to avoid the default. Washington Post, analysis, McCarthy puts a spin on spending math to justify the debt limit fight. Folks, 
we can skip a lot of this. They're going to raise the debt limit. I know Kevin McCarthy's saying he's not, but he's going to. One way or the other, they're going to do it because they have to do it. We've seen this movie before. Now, this particular Congress, GOP controlled, and, with, and what we've seen out of Kevin McCarthy so far, yeah, this might be a lot messier than usual, and there's probably going to be a lot of collateral damage. And yes, he is going to have to dig in his heels because of the things and promises he made. Somehow, some way, some measure, they're going to raise the debt limit. It's going to happen. It's just a matter of when, how much fuss, and how much caterwauling, and the political fallout there. Here's the dirty little secret of all this the American people do not care about government spending. Oh, I know they say they do. I know politicians say they do. But what do we say on this program? Actions, not words, right? We've seen this movie before, folks. The American people do not care about government spending being out of control. COVID happened. They demanded it. We demanded it. Spend money. Fix this problem. Open the money spigots. Now, responsible people were saying this is a bad idea. It's going to be unaccountable money. There's going to be a lot of fraud, waste, and abuse. We said that. You can go back and listen. It's all on video. And folks were right about that. But the American people, us collectively, we demand the money spigot of government stay open for what we want it to be. And then we complain about spending on the things that get spent on things that we don't want money spent on. And that depends on your ideology and political power. But there's a lot of hypocrisy here. But no, the American people don't really care about the spending. In fact, it's so bad. And our blissful ignorance on the fiscal condition of our country is you get politically punished if anybody dares brings it up. Seriously, try to do something like any kind of even modicum of entitlement reform. You're going to get shouted out of the building, if not worse. If you even talk about zero budgeting and things like this. Remember, government cuts, when they're talking about those, they're not really cuts. Those are cuts in gross of spending, not actual spending. There's places you could cut a lot of spending things like the DOD. But here's how the game goes. And it's the same for education and the same for transportation, same for everything else. But DOD and education are the worst because you can fly the flag of the troops and you can wave the thing about the children. Oh, we got to do it for the children. Here's the problem. There's so much spending that has nothing to do with frontline troops and has nothing to do with in-classroom students and in-classroom teachers. You're funding the bureaucracies. Of course, we could spend money more wisely and better, probably a lot less of it there. But that's not what we're talking about with these things. No, we're not going to default on our debt. Somehow, some way, it's going to get done. Kevin McCarthy promising that they're not going to do it is foolish because what's going to eventually happen is enough pressure will be brought to bear and enough pain will be brought to bear that him or somebody that replaces him because of the promises he's made, he's probably painted himself in a corner here, is going to have to do it. These things are cyclical. Just go look it up. Don't take my word for it. Go look up every debt limit fight we've ever had. They all end the same way. Lots of caterwauling, lots of buzzwords, the debt ceiling gets raised. And no, we don't really care about spending as an electorate, because if we did, we wouldn't keep having this cycle over and over again. So we can throw stones rightfully at Congress for this crisis, which is of their own making, and that they are now going to throw themselves a parade for, for doing the bare minimum of fixing it here in a week or months or whenever they get around to it. That's their game. It's failure theater in its purest form, doing the bare minimum, not doing it, grandstanding, then throwing a parade when you get around to actually doing it and claiming victory. But we should save some of that blame for us, the electorate, the American people. We've tolerated this for so long, we don't even notice it anymore. That's a sad commentary. Yes, we should care about the fiscal health of our country. Yes, we should have debates on spending. But mostly as long as the things we want get funded and we don't have to be bothered with it and we don't have to have our blissful ignorance interrupted, then we're fine. If they actually have a crisis over the debt limit, that will burst that bubble and people will holler because they don't like chaos to make it go away out of the headlines, just fix it and move along. And then they'll go back to forgetting it. And then next year, the year after that, we'll do this all over again. So we don't ever learn the lesson. Cycles, folks, if you don't break them, you stay stuck in them. And we're stuck in a debt limit cycle, a no budgeting cycle, a continuing resolution cycle, because we have an unserious Congress, because we're an unserious people. When we take it seriously, it'll look different. More hotel right after this. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. 
They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. back to Hertel. We haven't touched in on the Ukraine war in a while, so let's just uh, duck into that ugly situation for a minute. We are now in the 48th week of since Russia fully invaded Ukraine, but remember, they were fighting in the regions like the Donbass for a good 9-10 years before that. So this war has been going on for a long time. You can go back in history. Russia and Ukraine have fought for generations, for centuries, really. Let's be real clear about some of the rhetoric we're seeing now. Um, the back and forth of the front lines, that's going to change. This is going to be a long war. It's going to be a war of attrition. Putin can't back out of it and Ukraine can't lose because they cease to be a country. That means bloody conflicts for the foreseeable future. We can argue about things like USAID and EU aid and that sort of thing, but let's keep a big picture perspective on something about this, even amongst those debates. And we should have debates about accountability of what we're sending to Ukraine and things like that. But the main dynamic of this has not changed. Vladimir Putin, a bloodthirsty dictator who cares nothing about human life, international law, or anything other than his own power, invaded Ukraine for no good reason. There was no reason to do it. This war can end at any time because Russia could just stop shooting Ukrainians and pull out of their territory. This is completely Russia's fault. This is completely Vladimir Putin's fault. There is no version of this story where Ukraine is to blame. I get really, really sick and tired of these people with their idiotic things about how Ukraine brought this on themselves. No, they didn't. Vladimir Putin pursued this war for his own goals and his own goals in it. And it doesn't matter what Ukraine was doing before. It doesn't matter if there was corruption or not corruption. It doesn't matter what you think of Ukraine. Vladimir Putin decided he wanted to kill Ukrainians because they wouldn't kowtow to him. That's it. That's the long and the short of it. That's why even while the front lines are brutal fighting, Vladimir Putin has ordered that the military in Russia fire off missiles and other weaponry into civilian areas, purposefully targeting things like power plants, purposefully targeting hospitals, purposefully targeting apartment buildings, and just randomly blasting cities. And we know this to be fact, not just because we're seeing it with our own eyes, but they've done it before. They did it in Georgia. They did it in Syria. They level cities of people that they cannot control. They just rather kill them and bury their bodies in rubble. This is a wicked, wicked regime and a wicked, wicked man who has decided that Ukraine is either going to be Russia or they're just going to kill all the Ukrainians until whatever's left decide they want to be Russian. That's about as evil of a war as there can be. You could even call that genocidal. He's trying to wipe a country off the map, claiming it's Russian when it's not. Back in the beginning of this war, I wrote something that I think's held up really well. In his initial speech for this war, Vladimir Putin said that the people of Ukraine did not have a history and did not have an identity. Well, they have one. And I wrote it right after the beginning of the war. They're now the people that stood up to Vladimir Putin. The story of their people and their country will be forever formed by the fight that they are in right now. But let's never lose the big picture perspective here. Russia can stop this war whenever they want to. All they got to do is stop killing Ukrainians. The Ukrainians cannot stop this war without admitting to Vladimir Putin that they don't deserve to live and don't deserve to be a country. That's an imbalance that is very clear who the good guy and the bad guy is in this war. All the other rhetoric can wait. Russia needs to quit killing the Ukrainian people. That's how you get peace here. And that's not the Ukrainians' fault and not in the Ukrainians' power to give. Vladimir Putin is an evil, wicked man killing innocent people for his own gains. If your analysis doesn't start there, you're not getting the full picture. And at worst, you're on the wrong side. More hard to tell right after this.
Uh, welcome back to Herd Tell. Okay, let's talk a little tech, but we're going to take a positive spin on it because we can be negative about it. I'll hold my hand up. I'm guilty of that too. Caden Rosenbaum, one of our good friends from over at Young Voices. He's also a policy analysis. Got one of them lawyer degrees, although he doesn't lawyer too much these days. How are you, sir? Good to see you. I'm doing pretty well. How are you, Andrew? Fantastic. Good to see you. Look, I try to be a little self-aware, okay? I try to, you know, I know my own weaknesses. I work on this. I can be grumpy. I can be curmudgeonly. I can be, you know, grooved in my ways. I'm not big on the new tech. I can yell at the clouds with the best of them. I yell at the kids to get off my yard. But you went out to CES, and I liked how you wrote about it. And we'll talk about the piece you wrote for Libertas, but you took a positive spin on it. It's almost like you purposely went in. It's like, you know what? I'm going to skip the noise and the hype, and I just want to find some good stuff. Was that kind of your thinking here? Well, uh, I'll tell you, my trip to CES, that happened by accident, really. Uh, and once I was done, it, it almost seemed like that was all I had to write about because that's uh, the things that I saw, the things that I sought out uh, were just you know positive technology instead of consumer technology, so, uh, so to speak. And so whenever I got home and I looked at all my footage and I looked at all my my notes and the business cards I collected, I just I just had a bunch of startups who were just trying to change the world instead of, you know, whoever at Samsung or LG or something with the latest and greatest flat screen TV. And so uh, I sat back and I realized, well, the reason why I wound up at the startup hall is because that was the most interesting thing. Like, I'm not looking to tell people to buy the next $4,000 TV. I'm looking to tell people about what's going to change their lives one day. And so that's how that's how we got to the positive spin. Really an accident, but I'm glad it happened. Yeah, Caden Rosenbaum. For folks that don't know what it is, I used to live in Vegas, so I know what this is because that meant the week I'm not going anywhere near downtown, um, especially the convention center, which is where this <laughs> yeah. is because this takes over half of the strip for people that don't know. For people that don't know what CES is, though, just give them the nutshell of what this is. Because this is something that is, you know, this has become a media thing now. Every, you know, first of the year when CES comes out, this is four or five weeks of copy for websites. Oh, yeah. Tech blogs all send people the major, you know, Apple usually makes big announcements at these things. Samsung, Google, whoever you want to mention. This is big doings, but explain to people who don't know what it is, what CES is and just why it's such a big deal. So, the, so CES is it's it stands for the Consumer Electronics Show, and it's been happening for decades. Uh, I remember being really young. One of the first things that made me interested in tech uh, in general, I didn't really think I'd be a policy analyst, but back then, the thing that interested me in tech was the footage from CES. Right, you get like robot dogs or uh, you know cars being three D printed live in a matter of an hour or something. Um, these these kind of demonstrations by huge tech companies of all the things that tech can do is always really fascinated me and maybe want to get in this space in general. But for a lot of companies, this is the the proving, this is not the proving ground. This is the demo ground. It's where they show people the newest tech. Um, I saw, for, for instance, I saw an 8K LED TV uh, as I was just passing by. Didn't even realize that was a thing. And it was maybe 70, 75 inches. And it was beautiful. It was awesome. Uh, there's all kinds of VR hand tracking stuff out now. Um, there's new AR, uh, which is augmented reality glasses. And there's like four or five different companies making them. Um, this is where you go to find all that stuff before it hits the shelves. And, uh, if you're a startup, this is where you go to find investors and partners and people to be your vendors so you can grow your business. It's, it's a trade show and it's there for all the consumer electronics around the world. And, People like me really just go for fun, uh, but people who are actually in the tech industry and, and building something, they go to find partners, investors, and really show off what they've got to people like me. Yeah, Caden Rosenbaum joining us. You, you kind of skipped over it, but I want to back up for a second because there's something really important you said at the start of this. Startups versus kind of the traditional tech companies. This is a sub. Um, this is a sub narrative in tech reporting, especially in the Silicon Valley era, the last 15, 20 years, it's, it's almost like pro wrestling. Like there's what's in the ring and then there's what's backstage, right? Yeah. The startups versus the big companies and the shuttling of personnel and how those are the same people over and over again. That's the subheading. That's the backstage stuff to all the performative tech reporting we do. But startups has almost kind of got a bad name in some circles now because there are startups that are just kind of money grabs and whatever. And then sure. there's the little startups where it is, hey, I figured out this really cool thing and I'm trying to get it out there. Kind of the old school uh, inventor entrepreneurship. That one term seems like we need to break it down a little bit more than just startups because it means different things to different audiences, doesn't it? 
It really does. Uh, startup can sometimes mean uh, a crypto bro who just inherited a bunch of money and he goes out and he starts this thing that's totally not useful, totally not in demand, but he's going to go ahead and start it and raise all this money and say like, oh, Google offered me 500 grand, but uh, Meta offered me 400 grand. They're, they're trying to swindle me, bro. They're trying to swindle me and it's really a useless product or something. Uh, but then there's the startups that are startups because they have a good idea. They invented something that's going to help people or it's going to be enticing to people and they decide to make a business and just go for it right those are the startups that i found i I thought that they were the most interesting and one of the big shifts that i wasn't expecting is that a lot of the startups that i talked to didn't have the sort of nail it scale it get investors grow 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 mentality they had this different mindset where they would take their tech they would test it in a limited capacity and, and what they were seeking was investment so they could you know wait so that they could test and, and get all the kinks out so they didn't hurt people so they didn't produce something that was useless right they wanted to test first and then they wanted to grow incrementally and, and get the next part of it right and then grow more right and, and that was really a, a theme that i kept finding in most of these startups even the ones from uh from out of the us right people who wanted to be in the us but knew that they had like five or six different safety steps to get through before they could reliably say to people this isn't going to hurt you right i thought that was fantastic um it was way different from what we usually think of startups which is just throw out a product and if it hurts people just sell it and get away from it you know sell the liability away uh, this was different. I was I was pretty encouraged by a lot of the startups. And uh, one of them that I thought was really, really interesting, and it has some privacy concerns, but I thought it was the most interesting still. It it's It's basically an app, right? It goes on your phone and it creates a keyboard. And it, you use the keyboard just like you would uh, your normal keyboard. And it just watches you type. And it watches you make errors, how you interact with the error correction and just watches you. And within the matter of a week, it has a profile of you. It knows how you interact with the keyboard. And this is really important for people uh, with MS, right? Once they have an MS episode, sometimes their arms go numb. Sometimes their whole body goes numb. Sometimes their fingers just stop working a little bit more than they normally would. So this keyboard within a week could start watching and, and, tr- and looking for these things. And within a week, you might have something that's telling you, hey, something's wrong. Uh, do you feel okay? And if you don't feel okay, you might go get checked out because something's happening with your motor functions. And the company is called Neurocast. And I thought it was fantastic. The, the person shows me, uh, he goes into his web browser and he, he shows me something. I thought he was trying to show me a website. He clicks the little URL bar and the keyboard comes up and he shows it to me. And I just went, uh, I'm not looking at anything. I'm just, you're in the URL. And he went, no, this is exactly it. It was sort of like he was like, no, I know what I've got, right? Uh, and he shows me this keyboard and it just blew my mind. I walked away from it and I couldn't stop thinking about it. Just, this is really important. And so there were startups like that. There were other startups trying to help agriculture. Some were pulling water out of thin air. Uh, some were trying to help with uh, trash recycling and making sure you don't pay for trash days when you don't have any trash or making sure you get more trash services when you have too much trash. Uh, I thought that, that was really fascinating. That was a startup coming out of Africa. And just walking around what I call the startup stage, it's called Eureka Park. That was the place to be. And so we made a, we made a reel and a TikTok out of the footage that I took from Eureka Park. And I just said at the very end, everybody who went to CES, you know, did you miss out? Because everyone else is taking videos of VR and, and roller coasters. And Roland had a really great exhibit with, with uh, drum machines and a drum set that looks like a normal drum set, but it was an electronic drum set. And that just, that matters for, for people like me who can afford to, to go out and, and buy fun consumer electronics, but like to the everyday person, to someone who needs a new device to help their health, or just someone who's trying to make the world better, those things don't matter. The startups were making the things that mattered. And I thought that, that was very important to, to point out. Yeah, it sounds too much like that uh, Adam Garcia movie, The First 20 Million is the Hardest to Make, where they had the virtual keyboard pop up out of the Jeep computer. That's what that ad made me think of. Caden Rosenberg. Um, we talked about the perceived gap between the startups and the big companies. You'd mentioned the Eureka Hall. You talk about it in your piece. This was a physical gap. Now, again, this is one of the biggest oh, conventions yeah. in the world now. So obviously not everything's going to fit in one space. This actually had a physical barrier. I imagine culturally just in the room, I imagine that just permeated through everything when you walk around and you get to talk to these people. Was it more people-focused than tech-focused? Because that's something that came through in your piece and I wanted to ask you about. These startups, the thing about technology 
and you can talk about wearables or Apple or whatever you want to. Whether they succeed or not is always do they connect with people? There's always the gap. Here's the tech. Here's the people. Can we get the people to like the tech? Right. I got to imagine doing it in that environment really brings that to the forefront. Uh, you know, let's just start with the physical gap. CES is way too big for even the convention hall in Vegas, which is, I, I think, one of the biggest in the world. So that just gives you an idea of how many companies go there because it's such an important point uh, every year for those companies to make it. But there were two different halls uh, that were apart from the convention hall that I really noticed. There was one that was a, a convention hall or something like that. It's, it's another casino in, in Vegas. And that was where most of the media relations kind of stuff happened. You know, how are you going to market Bitcoin or something to consumers? and uh, NFTs and such. And I sat in on one session and realized I was in the wrong hall. My wife is in advertising. I don't know. A, I don't know a thing about it. And so there was the other one, though, which is another show right away from the uh, main convention hall. And it was called the Venetian uh, Casino. And that was where Eureka Park was. It was two levels, but it was, you know, at least 20 minutes to get down there. So every day, my colleague David and I would get on the shuttle and go over to Eureka Park. And that was where we set up shop and just kept talking to people. But the physical gap is very real. And I think that, that was uh, part of what kept people from going to Eureka Park. But the other gap, right, consumers versus, uh, you know, consumer electronics that are for fun versus things that actually focus on people. I think that at the startup level, they're thinking about things differently, right? Larger companies are looking to sell more products. And that's great. It's their job, right, as a company to sell more products, make more money, and increase shareholder wealth. But the startups were just looking for someone to invest something that would change people's lives. I mean, they were they were tinker and tinker and tinker. And I saw like three or four different prototypes that they would show me their, their stages of development over the years. And they wouldn't release until they knew that they were onto something. And I, I thought that that was just a whole different mindset that you don't see at the main stages. Folks, if you've listened to the Herd Tell program, you've heard our friend Gabriella Hoffman, but you need to make sure you're checking out her podcast, District of Conservation. It's a podcast exploring the nuances of true conservation efforts from D.C. and beyond. From topic discussions to exclusive interviews with conservation and energy newsmakers, Gabriella keeps listeners appraised of the latest news stories while elevating important voices. Listen to the District of Conservation on Apple Podcasts or wherever podcasts are played. Religion is at the intersection of our 21st century life, even if we don't express a faith. At a time when it seems that religion isn't as prevalent as it once was, it still leaves its mark everywhere. As a pastor, I know that religion isn't something I just do on a Sunday, but it's found in every nook and cranny of my life. Sexuality, politics, social media, the economy, war, nationalism, all have some kind of religious angle to them. And as a communicator, I want to find the stories that can help people understand this part of our society that is so important to so many. Hi, I'm Dennis Sanders, and I'm the host of Church and Maine. Church and Maine is a podcast about the journey of faith and where it intersects with modern life. I look at faith with a journalist's eye, asking the who, where, what, why, and how religion affects some of the major issues of the day. Join me as we journey together. You can listen to Church in Maine podcasts at the website churchinmaine.org or on your favorite podcast app. I look forward to seeing you. We talked about a perception gap. We talked about the physical gap, the technology gap, the human gap. There's a price gap part to this too. You touched in on it piece. 
one of the reasons I don't pay attention to something like CES maybe as much as I should, those top line products, 8K and $20,000 or whatever it is, I know five years from now, that's going to be an affordable product and the technology will devolve down. It'll be a consumer project down the road. So I just kind of turn it off and tune it out. What's some of those things, though, that maybe get tuned out by people like me who's just like, well, I'll just wait until it's cheaper because that's how this always works. <laughs> but we really should be paying attention to because it is pushing the envelope forward. It's not just a new spin on a TV or whatever the case may be. Well, I kind of mentioned this earlier, which is augmented reality. Um, if you don't know what that is, if you've if you've ever been in a new car and it has that pop up display, it's not real. It's like a holographic display, and it shows you your speed or some you know dash information. So you don't have to look down. It's right there, almost like on the road that you're watching. That's called augmented reality. And I, I've been watching augmented reality for some years, and it's always been kind of clunky, hasn't quite worked. But the overall vision is that we wouldn't have you know screens for our computers or. Uh, we wouldn't look down at our phone for turn by turn directions. We would see in, in real time, you know, in our real world, uh, holographic images. And that comes from the glasses, right? That's where the processor is and such. And I, I didn't think that it was there. I didn't think it was ready for the market yet until I went to CES. And there were like five or six different companies. There was one company uh, that was making the the processor. And I still don't quite understand it because it was very complex, but had the processor between the screen and the computer that would connect AR, right? And I almost think that they had the screen too. Don't don't quote me on that. But the, the founder was from Utah and he was just a very friendly guy. And uh, uh, I keep meaning to look back into his things. It's very complex, but AR is definitely the next uh, frontier for technology. No longer like, we won't have like a buzzing phone in our pockets five years from now, or or probably 10 years from now. We won't have a buzzing phone in our pockets and we won't have something distracting uh, everywhere we go. We will have VR uh, and AR that's just readily accessible. And it's going to change the way we live our lives, the way that we uh, walk through cities. I mean, I don't know if any of us still try to do math without a calculator, but now that we have calculators, our life's a lot more easy. We rely on them. Uh, I don't think that I could go back. I think the same is going to happen with AR. But uh, the other trends that I want to point out is that uh, technology is going to fade into the background. Not to say it's going to go away. It's going to become more uh, user-directed, right? Passive kind of technology. Things that aren't taking your attention, they're helping you uh, augment your own capabilities. And maybe that's turn-by-turn navigation. Maybe it's doing calculations and still replacing your... Uh, math abilities. It's going to be something like that, something in the background. And that was one of the main themes that I also noticed in the hour or two that I walked around the main stage. Yeah, Caden Rosenbaum. I think you said something really important there, though, because something like augmented reality, there's ways that it really fails. I'm thinking like meta and the metaverse and all that, where it looks like Half-Life 2 in a video game from 15 years ago. That stuff's not going to work. But if you make it, and here we go again with what we've already talked about, we keep running in a loop in this, but it's just true. You got to make it where it just integrates into people's lives seamlessly. Smartphones hit so big because they made things easier. Yeah. So the thing with something like augmented reality is if you got to log into six things in four apps, that's not easier. That's not going to work. If sure. it streamlines three or four things into one device or you don't have to reach for something and it's practical, yeah. that's when it starts hitting. That's that's exactly what I'm thinking. You know, um, uh, and especially when it comes to the the goofy tech. And I, I thought that there were a lot of tech companies there that were, you know, they were making toys, uh, essentially, right? They were they were making uh, robot dogs with fur, and they were kind of lifelike. Those were fun, important tech, I, I guess. I mean, I don't know what frontier that progresses. I'm sure it does something. But some of those things, I just thought, you know, very cool. You have holographic uh, fish in a fish tank. But What's the point? How is this going to fit into anything but a luxury lifestyle? And then, then there is, right? The passive technology that's in the background to help you augment yourself and become something more than just a, a person you can't do math if you're uh, anything like me. I thought that that was way more important. Uh, if anything that the big companies did, it was to find some things that would augment or, or go in the background to just help, right? Instead of change things or make you buy something silly. Yeah, Caden Rosenbaum. Here's here's another example of what we're talking about. We've had wearable technology for a while now. It's a big oh, thing. Yeah. Some oh, of it hits. Yeah, Apple Watch, that worked. Um, Fitbits, very popular. Google Glass, didn't work. Got cringy, was creepy. People didn't like it. You had several of the things you noticed in your piece, and you have a list of some of your best of here that you found. 
there was multiple kinds of wearables. I don't know if this is the second wave or the third wave we're getting into wearables, but it does seem like maybe these companies are learning from their mistakes a little bit. They're getting out of the uncanny valley area of these wearables, focusing on practicality. And now they're kind of starting to figure out where those lines are of, hey, if this really helps somebody, it's going to go well. And they got some real practical stuff that they're looking into getting into here. Yeah. Uh, well, just through starters, I mean, health things are really important. I think a lot of people are, uh, especially if they're able to buy wearables, they're probably thinking about life longevity and how to be healthier because they're probably in their their 30s, maybe 40s, and probably after. I think in, in your 20s, you're probably struggling to, to buy some of these things yourself unless you're getting it for Christmas from your parents or something. Um, I, I think health is a big trend that I that I locked in on. Um, I went up to this this company that has a camera and it takes your biometric. It can it can do a selfie of you and take your biometrics and figure out if you're at risk for certain diseases. So I, it watched the pulse in my face, my pupils dilating, and it came back and was like, hey, you're in great shape. Your skin looks like you're 24, but you should probably cut out some cholesterol stuff. You should probably start exercising because you're a little bit higher risk. And that sent me on my own little journey, right? To look for some wearables that would help me with exercise or, or diet. And there was this one that I mentioned in my piece that is a, a wearable uh, physical trainer, right? It watches your vitals and it can run really high level diagnostics, but it also shows uh, you know, the motion you make when you lift a weight and if you're lifting it improperly because you don't want to hurt yourself at the same time. Uh, I thought that that was a really important tech. Um, and, and there was much more there that I didn't get to explore. But I think health and wearables is right now where companies are locking on because as soon as Apple released their Apple Watch with EKG or ECG technology, something that could, you know, track your heart rate and you can see if you're having a palpitation or something. That was huge. You know, it's got fall detection. If you fall off a ladder, it knows what that's like, and it calls an ambulance if you don't pick up. Uh, that's really important for people because it helps them live longer or, or be healthier. And so I think that that's probably the thing that wearables is going to uh, enhance over the next couple of years. But when we get augmented reality glasses that are affordable and actually useful, I think that's going to be a major market. It's going to change the way we work, the way we live our lives, the way we go about cities like, like New York, which I'm in right now. Yeah, Caden Rosenbaum. Let's talk on a lighter note, though. You were tweeting about this. Let's talk about some old school tech. If you just paint in stencil, no smoking on a wall with a whole <laughs> bunch of tech bros and geeks around, that's old school tech. Uh, How effective is it? See, I think uh, I think that there was a, a language issue happening there. Um, Instead of no smoking, I think some people were reading it as smoking, and that was the place to smoke. But every time you left the Venetian Hall, there was the no smoking sign and like 100 people just smoking cigarettes. It was just a big cloud of secondhand smoke. And I had to take a picture of it. I couldn't ignore it. I thought it was the funniest thing. And so I said, uh, be ungovernable. And that was all I could say about it, you know. But if, if we had augmented reality glasses that could, you know, interpret and spit back out in a different language what something is saying like in writing uh we already have this we th there's a software or a technology company out there with classes that will listen to someone talk and provide captions either in in the same language or in a different language it'll translate it and give you captions in real time which is huge for communication and so this whole no smoking smoking thing might be a thing of the past in the next couple of years we work hard enough yeah, Caden Rosenbaum. All right, you actually walk through the halls. One of the things about being somewhere in, in person is you don't get the headlines. Again, you know, the the press releases, people just grab the press release, spin them back out. That's how this stuff gets reported. Again, this is a pretty select slice of people because these are the insiders or the tech geeks or the people that are really into this. What were they talking about, though, that's not making the headlines? What were they discussing? What was kind of the buzz, not of the products, but just in general? When you get a group of people together, it's always interesting to kind of take a slice out of what they're actually talking about. What was what were they talking about in the halls and as you were hanging out and walking around? In the halls, I, I didn't hear the reporters, right? The reporters were writing, and that's great. And I thought it was encouraging to see them retweeting me and sending me out to bigger audiences because I wasn't sharing, you know, the next uh, smart ink cars for paint or something. But the people in the halls, they're making deals. They were getting investors. They were running through the ringer, giving their pitch, trying their hardest, uh, or just finding vendors and figuring out how they could work together. I thought that was the most interesting because I don't work in the business world. I have a finance degree. I always thought I would work in the business world, but I never did end up there. Uh, I just write and think about things for a living. 
but I got to see business people, you know, and, and they make deals just like Shark Tank, but they're, they're like in a little corner of a hallway and it's just three of them and they're running through things and they're, you know, uh, they're being asked tough questions. I thought that was very interesting uh, just to observe and, and see happen because it wasn't, um, you know, if you go to a speech, it wasn't like the filler stuff that you hear at a speech. Where it's like, we're going to be great in the future and we're going to be producing renewables by 2030. It was like, here's our bottom line. Here's our ROI. This is how we can help you. And in three years, this is what we believe we can deliver. What do you think? And then they would get feedback back. Um, that was fascinating. Couldn't tell you what they were talking about. It was all numbers, but that was the hallways of CES. And <laughs> The other part of the hallways of CES was people who were just totally exhausted, like myself, by day three, uh, taking little mini naps on the on the sofas because it, it's it's an exhausting event. It's it's all the time grueling, but uh, that's the hallways. That's the things you don't see for sure. Yeah, some entrepreneur needs to come up with portable cots and go sell them to CES. You'll make a fortune. <laughs> exactly. There exactly. is no tech that'll ever replace good old fashioned hustle, is what you're saying here, basically. Oh yeah, that's that's. I wouldn't say that's wrong. Um, but I think that it can take a lot of the burden off of the hustle for sure. Yeah. Caden Rosenbaum. This is fascinating stuff. Again, sometimes I get cynical about the tech stuff. You know, we've been, we're a year into, you know, Elon Musk being the main character on social media, this kind of stuff. We can get burned out on it. So I appreciate you bringing a positive spin on it. It's like, hey, yeah, we are better off in the Middle Ages because we have indoor plumbing and Google. We are better off. So it's good to not be cynical about these things. Appreciate the piece. We're going to link to it. Read the whole piece. He has his list of things that he found really interesting. Let him know. I'm sure he'd like some feedback on it. Caden, until we get you back on the program again, though, let folks know where they can keep up with you, what you got going on, how they can follow you until we see you again on her sure, my friend. So if you're ever looking for me, you can go to libertas.com. It's actually pronounced libertas, but the phonetic spelling is L-I-B-E-R-T-A-S. It's libertas. Uh, you can find me there, or you can find me on Twitter at Caden Rosenbaum, C-A-D-E-N-R-O-S-E-N-B-A-U-M. Uh, and right now, what I'm focusing on is the, the gig economy and regulatory sandboxes. I'm looking at drone regulation, and right now the Utah legislature is in session, and one of my big focuses because Libertas is, is based in Lehigh, Utah, is the Utah legislature and making sure that bills are up to par with what needs to happen at the states. And so if you want to look for me or follow me along, go to Twitter or uh, find me on Libertas.org. Yeah. And Utah's legislature has been really interesting the last few years. They've been crossing some lines on traditional politics. We'll have you back and talk about that sometime soon. They Some things you wouldn't think out of a state like Utah, and they've been kind of dare I say, progressive and innovative on certain things. We'll talk about you that in the future. Caden, appreciated the talk, buddy. You enjoy New York City. We'll talk soon. Thanks for having me on. Talk to you Thanks, then. Sir. Thank you. over to China real quick. We've talked about this before on Herdtel quite a bit. There's a dynamic going on in China right now that we got to pay really close attention on beyond just the headlines. They got a demographic problem on top of having economic issues and, of course, geopolitical issues and, of course, the fact that they're led by a brutal regime of Xi Jinping who likes to imprison entire populations of people who do not want to bow the knee. Now, here's the thing. This is from the Morning Dispatch. You can sign up for it. We will link to it. But our friends over there, China's one po child policy once promised, quote, one mouth, six pockets as four grandparents and two parents could shower all their affection and resources on one lucky kid. But as those parents and grandparents retired without enough young people to replace them, demo demographers, demographers, demographiers, we got to come up with a better term for this. But the demo people warned that the pyramid would flip, leaving those only children scrambling to fill six pockets solo. The dynamic has already begun playing out for a few years, but it hit a milestone this Tuesday when China's Bureau of Statistics reported the country's population declined by 850,000 people in 2022, the first population drop since the 60s when famines caused by Mao Zedong's Great Leap Forward killed tens of millions of people. By the way, if you're not familiar with the Great Leap Forward, it's one of the great genocides of all time. You need to read up on it. China is still officially the most populous country in the world with 1.4 billion people. India is catching up quickly. Hold that thought. We'll get back to that in a second. But last year's decline is likely the first of many. Now, somewhere in here, India is going to surpass China as the most populous country. 
And also, India's economy is not nearly as developed as China's when you compare it to its population. So its economic growth has the potential to be exp exponentially huge. Why does this matter? A lot of China's policies, both politically and economically, are based on this knowledge. They are not dumb. They plan way better than us. You've heard of five-year plans. They've got 50-year plans. They know this is coming. The way it's been explained on this program before is they're trying to get rich before they start having the population decline. They're trying to get all their money. And COVID threw a huge wrench in this. It's one of the reasons all of a sudden they had to hurry up and try to open up, even though they're still having COVID issues over there. They just can't afford to have years worth of economic development on hold. They're trying to get rich before they go broke demographically and start hurting economically, which will also decline their geopolitical power. The secret sauce to China's power is that 700 million strong workforce that is almost completely under government control. And if that starts dipping, so does China's fortunes. They know this, and it's something to keep in mind when you watch their policies and headlines, especially their foreign policies. They know that cliff's coming. They're trying to consolidate and get as much as they can now before they have to deal with the problem at hand. One of those background things that's under the noise of the headlines, but you better pay attention to it, keep it in mind, and understand that's one of the driving motivations of what's going on with that country right now. More Hertel right after this. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus. You can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Let's end on a good note. Let's go down to Texas. CBN covers this. A Texas woman recently celebrated her 100th birthday, but Elaine Cooper, that's K-U-P-E-R, has an even more impressive long history of volunteering. She devoted 61 years to serving at the Texas Children's Hospital before retiring in 2015. I just love being with people, Cooper told USA Today. It's the best. There's no hospital like it. And on her 100th birthday, the hospital shared a photo of Cooper in a Facebook post honoring its longest serving volunteer. Post reads this, for over 60 years, Elaine volunteered her time at Texas Children, serving as an active member of our auxiliary board and receiving the Mayor's Award in recognition of her selflessness and dedication. Thank you from all your friends at Texas Children over six decades. Sporting her red and white uniform, Cooper served in various roles in the medical facility, from working at the all-volunteer woman-around snack bar for 14 years to delivering mail and giving tours, she went above and beyond. She served a 45-year stint at the hospital's information desk. Can you imagine? The outlet reported Cooper started volunteering at the hospital in February 1954, a transplanted Texan. She's a New York native. There were 10 of us when we first started volunteering, and I lasted longer than anybody, but I love it so much, she said. She was known for greeting the hospital's doctors not by their name, but by their sandwich orders. I had three favorite doctors that came every day I was there. We called him Mr. Tuna Fish, Mr. Grilled Cheese, and Mr. Roast Beef, Cooper told USA Today, adding that Mr. Roast Beef preferred mustard and pickles on his sandwich, not to be confused with the other Mr. Roast Beef. She even took Spanish lessons to help her patients and their families. She served as a charter member of the Texas Children's Women's Auxiliary, and his volunteer services suite was named in her honor. Elaine was always somebody who was just our living historian, said Paige Saltz, Texas Children's Assistant Vice President of Patient Services. Quote, she's somebody that was so delightful to greet volunteers and staff, and it really made everybody's day special. Whatever you do, folks, do it your best. You never know what kind of impact it can have. Can you imagine how many families in some of their darkest hours got cheered up by one woman who decided to serve in a lifetime's worth, literally in this case, of service? to something like a children's hospital where it was so desperately needed. God bless her. Uh, we'll link to that piece. Uh, I'm sure there's also a link in there if you want to send her a birthday wish. 100 years old. God bless her. Uh, that'll do it for her tell. We love hearing from you. We've done whole segments and even whole shows. We've reached out to guests and covered stories just based off the feedback you give us. So we'd love to get it. 
uh, show at gmail.com. You can also get us Hurtel Show on the Twitter or my personal Twitter. Feel free to reach out. However, we'd love to know what you think and feel about the show. We don't have a show if we don't have you. There's nobody to talk to. So this is a partnership, and we greatly appreciate you. And it never will cost you anything more than just a click or two. You want to give us two clicks, you can share us on your social media. We'd sure appreciate it. Make sure you're subscribing. iTunes, Spotify, any of the podcasting platforms, just put in Hurtel Show or my name, Andrew Donaldson. It'll come right up. Make sure you're subscribing there. Also, in addition to that, subscribe on the YouTube channel. We just had our anniversary year on the YouTube channel. It's doing better than ever. There is unique things on the YouTube channel you can't get anywhere else. Some breakdowns, some playlists, things like that. The good talks are all on there, plus all our video content. If you got the iTunes or Spotify or podcasting version, you also get special things like the Twice on Sunday recap show, things like that. Make sure you sign up for both. Even if you got one, make sure you go get the other. It'd help us out, and we'd sure appreciate it. So that'll do it for today. Wherever you and yours are, we hope you're well. We hope you're well-fed. We'll talk to you soon for more Hurt Tell. All the music on Hurt Tell is provided under a creative content license from MonsterCat.com. Religion is at the intersection of our 21st century life, even if we don't express a faith. At a time when it seems that religion isn't as prevalent as it once was, it still leaves its mark everywhere. As a pastor, I know that religion isn't something I just do on a Sunday, but it's found in every nook and cranny of my life. Sexuality, politics, social media, the economy, war, nationalism, all have some kind of religious angle to them. And as a communicator, I want to find the stories that can help people understand this part of our society that is so important to so many. Hi, I'm Dennis Sanders, and I'm the host of Church and Maine. Church and Maine is a podcast about the journey of faith and where it intersects with modern life. I look at faith with a journalist's eye, asking the who, where, what, why, and how religion affects some of the major issues of the day. Join me as we journey together. You can listen to Church in Maine podcasts at the website churchinmaine.org or on your favorite podcast app. I look forward to seeing you. Folks, you've heard of Ethan Brown on the Hurt Tell Show a couple of different times, but if you're interested in learning about how to discuss things like climate change without all the politics and doom and gloom, head over to his podcast, The Sweaty Penguin. Sweaty Penguin is a late-night comedy-style climate podcast working to add nuance, critical thinking, humor, and hope to the climate conversation. they got over 100 episodes already, breaking down weekly news stories and specific topics, from the vanilla to the ADHD to the international accountability to orangutans. Yes, I know, it's a comedy thing, so just go with it. But each time, exploring different ways we can make progress on these issues while still helping the economy, health, security, and everything else we care about. Feel overwhelmed, exhausted, or excluded by today's climate change discourse? This is the podcast for you. Find The Sweaty Penguin wherever you get your podcasts or at www.thesweatypenguin.com.